Hi, I'm Zoe Miguel Nixon, and today we're talking about World War II on film. Welcome back. If this is your first time joining me, the Pop Culture Papers is where I look back at papers I wrote when I was consuming pop culture for classes, reflect on those times and the art, and talk about what has changed. Thank you for joining me again after last episode. I promise it'll probably be the last time I get that emotional on Eric because as one of my friends even messaged me after, I can't believe you put that out in public. And honestly, same. <laughs> so I'm nearly two weeks into the summer break and relearning how to be human, and which has been really great actually. Lots of therapy, classes, writing, reading, catching up on TV, and hanging out with friends and family and avoiding work, but uh, that's neither here nor there. So um, I should probably be relaxing, quote unquote, more, um, but I'm honestly having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing, and I will relax when I get to Ireland in about a month. So it'll be fine. <laughs> So let's just dive in. As I remember, I wrote this paper when a friend and I started talking about Dunkirk at a party. Um, this was the last paper assigned for my film history class during fall semester of senior year. And it was one of those classes that was one of those three hour ones at the end of a Tuesday or Thursday. Um, honestly, because I was coming from Hollywood because of work and commuting from Mofelsto, most of that semester was a straight blur. Um, and I was also taking an Italian-American cinema class that was with a similar time slot. So I was taking this class on either Tuesday or Thursday, same with the other class um, around like, dang, what time was it? Probably, probably rolled in around 3 p.m. and I had to stay there till 6 and we watched a lot of movies. Uh, Sometimes uh, I, I would be like half paying attention because I liked a lot of the movies, but also sometimes just taking a nap because I was tired from work and also the guy next to me who was kind of cute, but was just like swiping on Bumble for the entire class. I'm like, dude, aren't you bored? But um, whatever. So I believe he let us pick any subject we wanted as long as we were comparing two films and being a Harry Styles fan, I wanted an excuse to finally watch Dunkirk and this was it. I was also a Nolan fan as Inception was definitely my favorite movie in eighth grade. So I'm not totally sure why I skipped this one in the theaters. I feel like I just watched most war-based movies at home and could feel like I'm not missing anything except Top Gun. The Top Gun franchise is my only exception. It should also be noted that this was my first time watching Saving Private Ryan. Um, for this assignment, and I was astonished by how many people were in it. Uh, I know I probably should have watched it by the time this came out, but in my defense, I was one when it came out, and you know, I had no interest in more movies until I started doing the film thing when I was a lot older. Um, and even then, I was still like, this is a very long movie. Um, <laughs> So here's a brief history for those unfamiliar with either or both the movies, or maybe you just haven't seen them in a hot minute. So Saving Private Ryan was released on July 24th, 1998 and grossed $485 million against its $70 million budget directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Tom Hanks and Matt Damon, as well as a myriad of then rising stars. The film tells the story of a captain and a squad on a mission to find a paratrooper who's the last of his four brothers as they have been killed in action in the war. 
um, praise for basically everything in this movie. It's considered both one of the best films and best war films of all time, so much so that it's preserved in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. At the Oscars that year, it won five of its 11 nominations, which were Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Film Editing, and Best Director, making it Steven Spielberg's second win, with his first being five years prior for Schindler's List in 1993. On to the second film, Dunkirk, directed by Christopher Nolan, was released on July 21st, 2017, almost exactly 19 years after Saving Private Ryan. It grossed $526 million worldwide against its budget of somewhere between $100 and $150 million. I don't know why they don't have an exact number for that, but I found it interesting. And I also just learned today that it is the highest grossing World War II film ever, which only surprised me because I feel like I heard no one talk about it after its release if you weren't on film Twitter, Letterboxd, or a Harry Styles fan. Uh, the film is about the Dunkirk evacuation during World War II from the perspectives of land, sea, and air, which is really interesting in the movie to see how they divide it up. It received a lot of praise and went on to win three of its eight nominations in the Oscars, which were Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Film Editing. With its ensemble, the film doesn't really have a central star, but does have a few Nolan favorites like Kenneth Branagh, Tom Hardy, and Cillian Murphy with a classic Hans Zimmer score. So without further ado, here's World War II on film, Saving Private Ryan, and Dunkirk. Few wars have had the cinematic impact that World War II had with the movies that followed and the films continue to be made today with surprising historical accuracy. None have made quite the impact Steven Spielberg's 1998 film Saving Private Ryan has with it being one of the most realistic movies about warfare and it having received many accolades including a Best Picture nomination. While not as talked about but with similar acclaim, Christopher Nolan's 2017 film Dunkirk portrays a different side of the war in that the audience sees the struggle faced by the Allied soldiers, particularly the British Army, during the evacuation of Dunkirk. It was lauded for its realistic representation, but the movies hold many more differences and similarities in their characters, dialogue, and locations in which they filmed. Firstly, there are similarities between Saving Private Ryan and Dunkirk that are glaringly obvious like, and likely shared by with many other movies in the war genre. They both have ensemble casts, which is an easy comparison to make when a large number of people are to portray soldiers. Um, just to make a little side note, and another movie I thought about that came out a couple years ago and I felt like again was largely ignored. Um, I saw it in early screening. It's was called Midway, and while I thought it was decent, you know, a war epic, um, I had a huge ensemble cast too and I was just like how do they get so many people in these movies like I was just like what is Darren Chris and Nick Jonas and Alexander Ludwig and like Andy Moore doing in this movie but <laughs> I, it's worth checking out at least once I think um and so a lot of these war movies just have a huge ensemble cast and I feel like I didn't recognize that until much later but on with the rest of the paper um Another aspect the films have in common is that both they both contain fictional characters instead of trying to portray any particular true stories. The closest to a real-life person being portrayed was Kenneth Branagh's Commander Bolton in Dunkirk, 
Bolton is a composite character based off multiple men in the war, Captain William Tennant, as noted by John Brioche's Slate article, What's Fact and What's Fiction in Dunkirk, and James Campbell Claston, both of whom helped board soldiers into boats to escape the beach in Dunkirk. Director for Christopher Nolan said in USA Today that we have fictional characters with fictional names, but we're not trying to tell anyone's story here, but the bigger movements portrayed are accurate. Claston has an incredible story we cannot do justice to in the film. While it encourages people to look into real-life war heroes, it doesn't hold them to a narrative or flaws of an actual person, which I think is a good call because if you did were to portray um, actual people, there are just so many more historical inaccuracies you could run into. Both films also ask their audiences to put themselves in the place of these soldiers and their experiences in some of the most brutal ways, like the opening scene in Saving Private Ryan and the gore it entails. In the Hollywood historical film by Robert Burgoyne, the author states Saving Private Ryan, in marked contrast to the conventions of the traditional war film, asks the audience to bear witness to the physical experience and horror of war before providing a rationale and justification for it. Nolan expressed a similar sentiment when speaking with the journal, saying that when making the film, he wanted to put the audience in the place of the people going through the war. Doing this made both films more real by showing the realities of war because of the level of discomfort shown on screen that is inevitably felt by the audience. However, Private Ryan was more realistically gory as the audience barely saw any bloodshed in Dunkirk. War movies aren't feel-good films, and while there is triumph, it doesn't come without tragedy. There are marked differences in the films that make them distinct from each other and respectively stake their claim in the war genre. They also have minor historical inaccuracies that steal from their total critical acclaim, even though it is impossible to make a war film completely true to life. Some of the nobility lies in the attempt of the creation of the film. The dialogue, or lack thereof, in the case of Dunkirk plays a large role in both the length of the movies and focuses of the characters. Saving Private Ryan clocks in at 2 hours and 40 minutes, while Dunkirk is a whole hour shorter at an hour and 40 minutes, which can be attributed almost entirely to the length of the script and relatively sparse dialogue. And honestly, movies don't need to be that long these days. When I found out Dunkirk was less than 2 hours, I was just like, great. Because if I have to watch another <laughs> over two hour war movie, I will have to pause at some points and go get a snack. <laughs> Nolan purposefully made his film with little dialogue to move the story along through its visuals and perspectives. In the French publication premiere, Nolan explained how the audience is to sympathize with the characters. The empathy for the characters has nothing to do with their story. I did not want to go through the dialogue, tell the story of my characters. The problem is not who they are, who they pretend to be, or where they come from. The only question I was interested in was, will they get out of it? Will they be killed by the next bomb while trying to join the mole? Or will they be crushed by a boat while crossing? This is in stark contrast with Saving Private Ryan that relies on the characters to show the thought process of different brothers in arms on a mission to save a character who ultimately doesn't want to be saved until the very end. This also makes the movies very culturally different in that most of the Dunkirk soldiers are trying to save as many people as possible with a few instances of individualism and Saving Private Ryan soldiers are the inverse where you see them as more individualistic as you see the soldiers as individuals with backgrounds. Spielberg's film about trauma and patriotism suggests that 
why the contemporary turn to memory anguish and the testimony of victims is about more than the demise of the cultural power of the nation wrote to john bodner in hollywood's america this demonstrates the events of private ryan in small part represents death to america's power wielding with no representation of how the public yet feels about this in Dunkirk, some of the soldiers feel shame for evacuating at the end of the movie, but see that civilians are celebrating their return home. The situation at Dunkirk is a less remembered battle of World War II, one Nolan acknowledged as a turning point in human history, but that doesn't make it less impactful than the scale of Private Ryan. It just doesn't represent the end of a political era in Amer the history of America's ally. Another interesting difference between the films is how each film deals with time. In Saving Private Ryan, time is linear from except for the beginning and the end. It begins on D-Day and it ends an indefinite amount of time later that, that is likely to be a week or so. Dunkirk's format is more jarring that it shows three different locations that are not necessarily happening simultaneously due to certain time constraints of transportation. The film intro introduces the three settings, land slash the mole, sea, and air, which each takes a week, a day, and an hour, respectively. This serves the story by showing the perspectives of more than just one group of people going through this odd battle and doing what they needed to survive, giving them all objectives despite their emotions. It all shows how circumstances change when you're not bound to a particular mission like the squad in Saving Private Ryan. In a way, the Dunkirk troops being evacuated could be seen as a collective equivalent to Matt Damon's James Ryan in that their sole purpose in the film is to get out of the war because it's what they're being told to do. Their main objective is to defight and defend their country as well as stay alive, but the politics of their situations change the course of action to keep them alive. I'm not gonna lie. I have not seen these movies since I wrote these since I wrote this paper, so I'm just like, ooh, it's coming back to me a little bit. But I probably should revisit at least on Kirk um, very soon. Something the films do share are their inaccuracies when it comes to some of the smaller details in the timing of certain events. Starting with Dunkirk, the noses of the German planes are painted yellow, when in reality that wasn't done until a month after the events at Dunkirk. Nolan just thought it was a good color scheme to determine who the enemy is in the movie. At the end of the film, Tommy, played by Fionn Whitehead, who reads a paper to a so fellow soldier, Alex, played by Harry Styles, and recites Winston Churchill's We Will Fight Them on the Beaches speech a day before it is actually delivered to the public. In the same fashion, in that it is only a few days off in Saving Private Ryan's timeline, the Utah and Omaha companies had not yet gotten together at the time of the squad's mission start. The casual viewer is not meant to notice these differences in the film as they don't necessarily affect the storytelling, but inaccuracies do contribute to a culture that makes a habit of excusing incorrectness for the sake of art. These are, for me, these are artistic liberties that I feel are pretty excusable, where it's just like, that's fine. It's for the sake of the story um, instead of being completely accurate. So it just helps mostly the film. But if you were to ask a war veteran, they will probably tell you everything is wrong. So, you know, it's one of those art for the sake of art things. 
As long as there are are wars and compelling stories to tell a wide-scale audience that is not privy to the inner workings of warfare, the war film genre will always be around. Saving Private Ryan and Dunkirk are excellent examples of World War II films that lend themselves to good storytelling and accuracy in its action while still having a Hollywood gloss over the films in the form of big-name stars, prolific directors, and large production values. Despite being made nearly 20 years apart, they both earned well-deserved recognition from the film community and the general public, and it is to be acknowledged that films such as Saving Private Ryan paved the way for a movie like Dead Kirk to exist. It is the hope that these movies continue to inspire scores of new filmmakers to strive for different approaches as well as accuracy in future historical war films. So what has changed since writing this paper in late 2018, Steven Spielberg is still pumping out movies with his most recent being his passion project, West Side Story, and will be releasing a semi-autobiographical movie this year called The Fablemans. Christopher Nolan released Tenet in 2020, which I actually saw in a drive-in and honestly had to read the Wikipedia page afterwards to fully understand what I watched. Um, and now he's directing Oppenheimer, a, another World War II biographical film on J. Robert Oppenheimer, father of the atomic bomb, once again with an ensemble cast of so many young white men of Hollywood, and older white men too, um, I can barely keep track, and his mainstays. Cillian Murphy, James Darcy, and Kenneth Branagh will also be there. Since Dunkirk, Barry Keegan, and Harry Styles have gone on to be in another film together, even though they didn't have shared screen time, it was Marvel's The Eternals. Um, Harry Styles has since released two more albums as recently as this month called Harry's House, or, well, last month, technically. <laughs> which is a masterpiece I will not shut up about. I will probably put a track at the end of this episode just because. As for me, I think I've recapped this section of my life on here enough times, and you know where I'm at now, so nothing really new, except for the fact that I have seen Harry Styles a few more times since 2018, and will be seeing him during his bonkers 15-date forum run in the pit during the last date, so I'm very excited for that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcast. Big thank you to Mandala for letting me use She Don't Mind as my theme song. You can find them at Mandala CT. This was all written, edited, and artwork by me. You can find us on Instagram at the Pop Culture Papers, on Twitter at the Pop Culture at Pop Culture Paper. If you're interested in reading the paper with its full set of references and slides, I'll be uploading them soon because I no longer have any excuses to not be uploading them. So watch out for them on socials. I think I'll just do a mass upload today, probably. Um, So (laughs) I'll see you next week as we live to write another day. Bye.